chapter 11 uh, that we've entitled Heroes. Um, this is our, our second week. We've got uh, two more that we're going to be spending in this chapter together and seeing um, what it looks like practically um, to live by faith. As we get started today, I just kind of wanted to get us thinking together um, about some, some different levels of ideas. Um, what would you pay for, say, an amazing meal? Just like think about it in your mind. Verse, what might you pay um, for a one-of-a-kind, rare collectible? Whatever, whatever your hobby of choice is, whether it's like fancy hats or uh, antique uh, spaghetti strainers or um, you know whatever, whatever is your fancy, how much would you pay for that? How much would you pay if you had a terminal illness and you knew like whatever it was, if you paid that amount, you could cure it? The number's going up, right? How much would you, if, if you didn't have money, but you were uh, allowed to endure something like that wasn't pleasant? Like for me, if I got stuck in a room full of bananas, how long would I be willing to stay in that room if on the other side, I knew that there was an amazing reward? Depends on how amazing the reward is. Like maybe five seconds, I don't know. Um, but there, how maybe 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 it's a distance. Would you travel really far if you knew at the end of this long journey, like the job that you've been like searching for your whole life? That like man, all these other jobs are just kind of like, blah. I'm here and they pay me money and I guess they pay my bills. And I don't hate the people I work with, but I don't love it here. And if I knew if I went on this journey, if I endured all these hardships, I could get there and everything would be great afterwards. Like we would. We know people that have gone through all kinds of things, jumped through all kinds of hoops because they care about something, whether it's just running through the rain to get the meal down the street because, man, they really had a craving for Popeyes and it was like thunderstorming all week, but the chicken was calling, right? Um, <laughs> hallelujah. Um, but what if it's something that you wouldn't ever get to see in this life? What if, what if I had to stand in that room full of bananas, but I didn't get anything until after death? Or what if I didn't get anything for it? What if it was something that um, one of my relatives or one of my descendants was going to get if I you know, end up going down that road and having descendants someday? What, what, if, what if I'm not the person? What if you're not the person that gets to see it? What, would that change the equation for you? Would you say, okay, well, if it was for me, you know, I might pay a million dollars. But if it's for somebody else, maybe like 20, 50 bucks? I don't know, maybe not that much. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's somebody you really care about and you would want to give them more than what you would give yourself. But I think, I think for most of us, the idea that whether, whether it's immediately after or not too long after, or even waiting some, the idea of having it ourselves, having it on in this life, would obviously be something that our mind would jump toward. And that's the situation, um, somewhat, that the readers of this letter of Hebrews are dealing with. They are holding on to something 
this faith that we are talking about is something that they're holding on to not for this life and the stories that we'll see today that the heroes that we'll talk about today were holding on to something that they were going to get not in this life. There was going to be something that happened after they died. And so when we, when we come to the context here of, of chapter 11, we have some readers. If you look at the end of, of chapter 10 um, in verse uh, 32 through 39, they are, this is on uh, page 1067 uh, in your uh, Bibles in the pew if you want to turn there because we'll be turning one page over to chapter 11 in just a minute, um, where the author tells them, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, after you'd come to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And so the author here, as we're coming in to chapter 11, is reminding the reason he's telling all these stories of these heroes of faith is because these are people who were in the same situation that these readers find themselves in. That is something that maybe, maybe we can relate to on some level. This isn't a group of people that are full, perfect in their faith and that the author is like, hey, just keep doing what you're doing, just like all these other perfect people. These are people who they, they've been through hardships. If you read through Hebrews, you, you find out that the author says, hey, like, you should be further along in your faith at this point, to some of them. And he, he reminds them that, that some of them, they have, they have had thoughts about, man, I don't know if I want to keep walking this way. I don't know if, man, I've been, I've been wondering, is, is this really worth it? This enduring possession that the author is talking about, is that, is that something I can really hold on to when I'm not going to see it in this life? What does it look like to have faith all the way to the end? An enduring faith. And so last week, we, we talked about what faith is, the author's definition, the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And so, so the author is listing all these saints who have won God's approval by faith. These are the witnesses that he talks about at the beginning of chapter 12 who have run and endured. These are people, as these readers would be very familiar with, as it's the heroes of their Jewish faith, as well as the people who have seen the promises now full in Jesus. So as the author would remind these names, he, would, he doesn't need to say a lot for them to be able to have the full picture of, oh, he mentions Noah. And they're like, oh yeah, I know that whole story. I remember how Noah had faith through it. And he mentions Abraham, but they know. They know all the big hits, all the, the best records, right, of of Abraham's life and Sarah's life. And they're like, yeah, I can picture all of that. I can see how, 
how faith was working in them. That, that wasn't just them being amazing, that God gave them faith and that they were able to endure. And so we come uh, today to the passage in verses 17 through 22. And it says in verse 17 of chapter 11, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. So as we read through these verses, I think we'll notice some similarities of the situations of these people. Maybe, maybe you noticed the same similarities I did. Maybe you noticed some other ones. But one, one idea that pops out is this question, where are you from? Have you ever been asked that? And like not know what to say? Or maybe you know what to say. Maybe you only live in one place. But maybe, maybe you've moved around and lived several places. It's one of the first questions we ask when we get to know someone, right? Like, where are you from? What do you do? Um, tell me about your family. Um, you know, do you like bananas? I need to know if we're going to be hanging out a lot, um, if that's going to be a problem. But most of the time, we're doing it because we want to figure out, in a quick way, what somebody's story is. So when somebody asks me, where am I from? Like, I've lived in, like, I don't know, over, well over ten houses, and four or five, I don't know, six, I lost track, different states, different places, all growing up, and we were at different churches, and my dad was a pastor, and so I said, well, I lived in this place, and this place, and everybody, like, where are you from? I don't know, like, my, well, my parents live in Ohio now, but I never lived in that house. But I, I call it home when I go there, but it doesn't, I don't know, I don't know anybody else in town other than, like, a couple people in my parents' church. Like, just, just here in this room, how many of us grew up in New York? Okay, we have a few. Um, of those who grew up in New York, how many of your parents grew up in New York? And further back? Okay, but see, the, the vast majority of our, our stories, it, even in this city, don't go back that many generations. Where we're from is often a question that we can answer in the short term, but as we go back, well, from becomes a lot bigger. And so this is something that we can relate to with the characters in our passage today. We, we may not be right from the Middle East in terms of geography. We may not be um, living the same style of life because we're in this giant city and we're not wandering nomadic shepherds. But we can connect 
with the idea of being not quite home. That maybe we're making this place like home and you add stuff to your apartment to make it feel like home and then you realize like I don't even own this. How much is this? It's home. And so if you look back at verse 9, it says, this is talking about Abraham. He says, by faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And again, in, in verse 13, it says, But they saw them from a distance, these promises, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of the earth. So we have, we have the first idea that these people are far from home. And the second thing I think was maybe easier to see in this three, three to five verses here is that everyone was near death. And so, as we're looking at these heroes today, we're looking at what does it mean to have faith when you're far from home, far from where you feel like you should be getting to, and when death is at your door. How do you have faith to the end? How do these heroes get to the point of death and be able to do these things by faith at the end. Let's look at just the situations that these, these people are in as we come through these verses. So in verse 17 is about, verse 17 through 19 is about Abraham's situation. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac. So, right, we, we know that Isaac is the son of promise. This is a the story of Abraham is one we went through uh, not too long ago as a church, so this one should be more familiar to us. We know that Abraham and Sarah went through multiple tries to figure out how God was going to bring this promised son, how he was going to fulfill these promises that they weren't sure about. They went through all of this following, all of this trusting, all of this waiting, and now they are here, and God has asked him to offer up Isaac. This isn't just a son, which would be a crazy thing to ask on itself, his only son. This is the one who the promises were going to happen through. If Isaac dies, is all this for nothing? If Isaac dies, how is anything going to happen. Abraham, right, if we look at verses 11 and 12, look at the situation they were in. Sarah, when she was unable to have children, verse 12, therefore from one man, this is Abraham, in fact, one as good as dead, right, like God just kind of throws this, I'm like, guys, you know Abraham. He was really stinking You know, it's like, it's like when, uh, I don't know, there aren't too many of us that are like maybe feeling too old yet. But I don't know now that I'm, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years older than many of you, we hang out with somebody who's like, Yeah, I remember the show when I was a kid, and I'm like, wait. 
that was no, that, that's not what I'm a kid. And and maybe uh, maybe you start to see like a, a gray hair too, like on the side of your head or in your stubble, and you're like, wait, is that that's really that color? That's not just like food or something. I guess it's some I'm feeling old. And then, you know, maybe if your friends that are closer, they see it, and then they, they joke around. And I feel like this is kind of what the thought is. Like, we all know Abraham. He's like, he's good as dead. Like, you're so old. Like, you might as well be a casket, dude. Like, you know how you kind of, like, rip around with your friends. Like, Abraham's so old that we're going to just tell jokes about it. Because, like, we can't even believe he was that old and had a kid. But the point is that... As, as, we, as we see what happens, right? He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead because he'd basically seen it happen. His wife was done as far as having children were concerned. Everybody knew he was well past the point of having kids. And according to the author, he's well past the point of like, should you even be living? Like, how are you still here? You're really old. Like, God has brought life where there wasn't any life. That's the whole point of Isaac's name, right? Laughter. Because what happened when God said, this is going to happen? So it was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Like, no way. And then God's like, yeah, that's a great name for your kid. Let's do this. And so every time somebody laughs, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> God can do that. God is faithful. Oh, yeah. Now, now they hear laughter and they, they bring that into joy. And now God is saying, like, all of that, all of that joy, all of that trusting and that faithfulness that seemed to happen and seemed to be proved to you, now I'm asking you to put it all on the line. And that can be a very confusing situation. His line is going to die out. He's not going to have any heirs. He's not going to have anyone to support him in the last years of his life. The promises that he was told were going to happen, they won't happen. But he knows that God is faithful. And so he knows that, God, you said that through Isaac, your offspring will be called. And so whatever happens up here... My guys, he's coming back with me. And so, if you remember from Genesis, that's what he tells his servants that were going up with him. He says, hey, so we're going to go up, me and Isaac, and we're going to worship on the mountain, and then uh, we're both going to come back down. And he says this knowing what God had told him. So the author doesn't say, like, what exactly he expected to happen, but that he knew, hey, even if he had to go all the way through with it, well, God's not going to use anybody else. He's going to use Isaac. So somehow, like, Isaac is going to be alive when we're done. And so he's going to have faith, even in the face of death, because God has already brought life when there wasn't any. And so he knows that he can do it again. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So here's Isaac at the end of his life. He, like, can't see well. That's why he blesses Jacob instead of Esau. Jacob's able to go in and trick him into thinking he's brother. So he's, he's not physically well. He's at the end of his life. And we're not really that much further along in terms of the promises 
of we're just going to have descendants that are greater than the, the grains of sand and the stars of the sky. Well, we went from Isaac, and now we have Jacob and Esau. So we're, we're at two. We're making real fast progress. And as we saw from the other verses, Isaac is still living in the land, but just like Abraham, he's living as a foreigner. It's not theirs yet. So they're, and they certainly aren't like blessing all these other nations yet, like the promises said. So how is, how is Isaac able to say, yeah, I still believe that even though not much has seemed to happen with his promises yet, I can have faith at the end of life to pass on these promises to my sons. How can he do that? The same, the same thing with Jacob and Joseph. Jacob in verse 21, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Right? In some ways, we, we do see the promises move forward here more quickly. Right? Jacob has 12 sons. And so at the end of his time, that, that's a good thing. But where is his family? They're in Egypt. They're not even in the promised land anymore. And not only that, like they're dependent on the resources of Egypt for their survival because there's a famine in the land that they were supposed to be in. And so here they are in a place where they aren't supposed to be, far from where God had promised, not being able to be a blessing in some ways. Obviously, through Joseph, God was blessing all these nations because he was using Joseph. But at the same time, it would be easy to feel like, man, here we are, and we're stuck in the wrong place, and we aren't the people that are being a blessing. We are receiving a blessing from somebody else so that we can survive. How do you pass on the promises at this point? How do you worship at this point? Jacob, at the end, he's gone through all these struggles of learning how to trust God. And he, and he worships, and he, and he tells his sons and their sons not to bury him in Egypt. So I know you're going to go back to the land. I don't know when, but I need you to take me and bury me there. And Joseph does the same thing. As he was at the end of his life, nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. He said the same thing to his sons. It says in the end of uh, Genesis 50 that Joseph saw three generations after him. So he's seeing grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and they're still all in Egypt. And he's passing on these promises to these people that have only heard things about the promised land, have only heard things about Abraham, about Isaac. But he's passing them on even in the face of death, even though he has not seen the fulfillment of the promises. How do you have faith like these people when the story isn't finished? How do you believe even to the end when everything isn't bright and happy? How do you have this kind of faith that, that isn't stopped 
by death. Because look at, look at verse 13, the beginning. These all died in faith. Death couldn't halt their faith. The grave couldn't bury them. Why is that? Is it because they were so wonderful, so strong, so, so full of something that others around them couldn't do, something that I couldn't do that you couldn't do? No, it's because they had a God who is faithful each and every day of their life. Abraham saw God's faithfulness throughout his life to him and to Sarah. And Isaac heard of God's faithfulness to Abraham and saw God's faithfulness in his own life. And Jacob saw and heard of God's faithfulness to Abraham and Isaac and saw it in his own life. Joseph saw and heard of God's faithfulness to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and saw it in his own life time and time again, even when things did not look good for him. When his brothers threw him in the pit, when they sold him into slavery, when he ended up in jail, he knew that God was still who God said he was. He knew that God was faithful because he had heard and seen how God had been faithful to his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. Their faith in God was rewarded again and again. So they knew that even after they were gone, God would continue to be that same faithful God. Their time would be temporary, but they had an everlasting God. They could grow tired and weary, but that was okay because God was strong. They could have doubts and wander in the darkness, but beyond the clouds, the sun was still shining. God was still true, and God was still faithful. And so they passed on their faith. where we are. Wherever, wherever God takes us in this life, we are in a country, a city, that is not God's final plan for us. Just like the readers of Hebrews, we are holding on to that better and enduring possession. So, this feeling of, of foreignness is something that is valuable because it allows us to see that like these early followers of God, our time is temporary and we can be a witness to those around us and those that come after us. Just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we can pass on our faith to family, to friends, to co-workers, to strangers. We can pass it on to anyone. And it gives us freedom in this life as we serve and follow God. Because God could call us to serve here in Brooklyn, or somewhere else in the city, or somewhere else in the world. And wherever that is, His promises and His plans can and will be accomplished, with or without me, with or without you, before we got here, after we got here, they're going to be accomplished. And after I'm here, maybe even more so. Right? They were going to be accomplished no matter what. And so we don't have to worry and wonder how am I going to have the strength 
to continue to serve God? How am I going to be able to do this? Because it's not in our strength. Now, most of us in this room and in our church right now, average age-wise, especially we have more and more kids that average age is going down, right? We're not, we, we probably feel closer to this idea of maybe not quite being near home or being near family or being somewhere different than feeling close to death in terms of, you know, the average expected life expectancy. But that doesn't mean that a faith that is strong, even at death's door, isn't something that we should be striving for now. Striving for it now, during the beginning and middle parts of our journeys, is exactly how these heroes were able to have strong faith in God at the end. It's because they were able to see when God first called Abraham out of her following that God was faithful on the journey. Because when they first went astray, God brought them back and continued to be faithful to them when they messed up. And so when they got to the end, they said, yeah, well, God was faithful again and again and again and again. So how can he not be faithful? Because it's not about me, it's about him. God's going to continue to be faithful because it's not just me that he's faithful to. It's all of his people. Because they had something, these promises, this confession, this enduring possession and inheritance that was an anchor for them. I was, I actually had a conversation on, on Monday this week with a coworker, and uh, he grew up uh, in the Catholic Church, but doesn't do too much with his with his faith right now. He just had a kid, and so we bought um, his daughter, who's one now, this little Bible storybook that has you know, like Noah and Moses and that kind of thing. And and his wife isn't really religious, but he asked me. He said, you know, she just started listening to like these TV preachers. She's trying to get me to listen to them. Um, you know, he named a couple, and he said, like, I'm having, I'm having trouble because there's just something I can't, like, put my finger on that doesn't seem right about it. And so we got to talking, and, and what, what, he, what he was feeling, really, was that they didn't have any substance. It's like, it's like they just, like, were scrolling through Instagram of, you know, like, some, like, 18, 20 year old person who like, you know, had some nice pastel background and just said like, you know, keep trying. Like, okay. Things will get better. Will they? Like, do good. Good things will happen. Yeah, well what if I do good and bad things happen? What happens then? And that's the questions he was asking. And that's that's the difference. That's what's going on in Hebrews. It's, they aren't holding on to nothing. They aren't getting to the end of the story and saying, well, all I had was like this pithy statement. And now death is here. And I'm like, how am I supposed to have peace and faith at death if all I have is, like, don't worry, be happy? can't. And so what we have here is an, an anchor 
for what we're doing. If you look at uh, back at chapter 10, turn back um, to uh, verse 19. Our author says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed of your water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Unlike a simple Instagram saying or a Facebook saying preacher, we're not left trying to be strong on our own. We are holding on in full assurance, not because we're able to muster up full assurance on our own. Not because we are strong. We're not drawing near full assurance because we can bid every doubt depart with a simple snap of our fingers. We can do this because our promiser is faithful. We can do this because we have a great high priest. We can do this because he has made a way into the sanctuary of God through his blood. Because of him, the author and perfecter of our faith who endured the cross, we can hold on in the midst of darkness. We can draw near when hope is hard to see. We can find assurance when the end seems near, but we know that the story isn't finished. We can follow. We can pass on the promises to those who come behind us because we aren't the architects. We aren't the builders. God is. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they are examples and encouragements because of their faith. But that is only because their faith was placed in the same God who calls us to walk with him today into tomorrow. The same God who always delivers, who is always faithful. When they had setbacks, he was still faithful. When they had doubts, his promises were still sure. He doesn't promise us an easy road, a road free from doubt or struggle or even persecution. That's not something that we should expect. But he doesn't expect us to go it alone. We have the testimony of believers throughout history, including the ones here, who can say, God is faithful. We have the family of faith who walk alongside us to push and encourage us to live out our faith. That's what, that's what he's saying just after that in verse 24 of chapter 10. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When we put something like, hey, you should be a part of church and what is happening at Mosaic in the church covenant, when we say, hey, missional families are happening throughout the week, we want you to be in them. That's not because we're keeping attendance. That's not because it's going to get you some like high score that I remember being in a church where they have attendance awards like every quarter. And if you went to like Sunday school so many times, you like walked up to the front and they gave you a little certificate. And if you did it like three years in a row, maybe they gave you a little Bible or something. That's not why we're doing it. 
We're encouraging you to get together with one another, to get together as a family. Because this isn't something that we should be doing alone. When you're struggling, when you're wondering in doubt, the rest of the body of Christ is there to say, hey, God is still God. God is still faithful. You can endure. Let's endure together. We can do this because God is with us. Don't forget what we're holding on to. It's sure because it's in Jesus who is risen from the dead. So when we get to the end, we know that there is not the end. But it's just the beginning of what should be. We have a great high priest who, as the author says in chapter 4, has been tempted in every way just like us, can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He knows how we are as humans, that we're frail, that we are but dust. And yet he still says, you can have full assurance. You cannot waver because I am faithful, true, and strong. So those are kind of the three next steps. You can put those up there. Um, first, to look out for one another. Encourage one another to endure. I guess I got two number ones up there, so my bad. Uh, number two, uh, look around. Find strength from the stories of those who've gone before you. That's the stories here. That's the stories of people throughout church history, throughout Mosaic history, the people that have been here, and now God is using faithfully in other places, and God will use faithfully in other places. And look up. Put your faith in the faithful high priest, because he is strong, and he is true, and he has overcome death, and he has endured, so that you can too. And so I just want to talk about one example of how this can look like. This isn't like, this is how it should look in your life. This is just how it happens to look in my life. Um, you can put the first picture up there when I'm like really little. Um, so this is uh, some of my family. Uh, this is my, my brother, Stephen. And uh, this is my, my great-grandpa, Green, John Green. And this is my dad, Larry. And this is my brother, Stuart. And uh, this is uh, my dad's dad, Harold. And that's me. Still got some girls up there. Um, I think I'm probably like four or five there. Um, this was uh, the first church that my dad pastored in Ohio um, up through like 1989, 1990, um, before maybe some of you were born. Um, and all three of the men there um, were pastors. That doesn't really mean that much. It's not saying everybody should be a pastor. But it's not how families necessarily have to work. This isn't about the family tie as it is as much as it is about faith. My great grandpa, John Green, when he was up in his nineties a couple years later, could barely see, but he made he made special pin dot coke glass bottle glasses for himself so that he could keep typing out devotionals for people that used to go to his church and for gospel tracts so that people could still know Jesus. 
and he passed on not just genes, that's, that's whatever. This doesn't have to be a family. This could be your friends. This could be someone that you led to faith. Right? Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. This story can start anywhere. For me, it just happened to start with my great-grandpa. But if, if you're the first person in your, your family, you're the first person in your friend group to trust Christ, this could be you. You could be starting the passing on of faith. And if you go to the, the next picture, this is my grandma and grandpa's house in Ohio. And you can see some of the names uh, around the kitchen. Um, every time they had a grandkid, they made a new plaque and put it around the kitchen. It goes all the way around because they have like 17 grandkids. Um, this is a great angle because I'm in the center. My name is right there above the sink. Because um, I'm really weird. I need to wash it off, I guess. Um, but every time we would, we would come there, or they would visit, and something was going wrong, they'd be like, you know what? If you keep messing up, we're going to take your, your name down. Um, but, but as we grew older, um, what, what I knew it really represented uh, was how much they wanted to pass on their faith to us. Because the way this house was built you go back this direction, it was where their, their bedroom was. And when, when I was in college and uh, for my internship and seminary, I lived at their place. And because of where the air ducts were, every night, if I left the door open to my bedroom downstairs, I could hear them praying and praying and praying. Specifically for each and every grandkid, for so many of the students that he worked with at the college through 20 to 30 years of ministry, for so many people that weren't just me, that were his family of faith, that were her family of faith. And I remember them visiting our house in New Jersey, which was all wood floors. And I remember like trying to stay up at night sometimes, just so I could hear the prayers echo through the floors. And that was them passing down on that faith to the end, at the very end um, of my grandpa's life seven years ago, you go to the next picture, he had um, pancreatic cancer, which as pancreatic cancer often, often happens, they got it at stage four. And even to the end here in the last uh, month or two, um, was still faithfully praying for us, asking us, what was going on in our lives spiritually, caring about what was happening. And you go to the next picture, this is kind of why this jumped into my mind. The very, this is, those of us who were there, I think the rest of the cousins got rid of the next day. But this is the room and this is the chair, which ended up being the end of our version of Genesis 49 and 50. We were all in this room, and we knew this was probably the last time that Greco was going to be able to speak with us. And he prayed for everyone. And we all went up, and individually, he was praying for our future families, for our future ministry, for our faith to remain strong. And so whenever I, I see this picture of somebody who is worshiping even at the end, 
I had this picture of, of my grandpa. So like I said, this can't, this can be, this just happens to be within my family as well as the ministry. But the same day as the funeral, we had a memorial service over the college where we were, and there were thousands of students that had the same story that I did. It was like, this is somebody that cared about me, that passed this faith on to me, and now I'm passing on this job that I work in sales out in Texas. Now I'm passing it on at this mission that I'm working in over in China. I'm passing it on wherever I am because he passed on his faith. Even to the end, he was faithful. And so he didn't get to the end to be able to do this and be faithful and know God was going to be faithful to his kids and to so many people that he had encouraged in, in ministry and in church planning and so many things because he was able to trust God through the whole story, just like Abraham was able to trust God through the whole story. So he knew when it was time for him to go home and that God was continuing his story because God is faithful. God is true. And so that's my encouragement to you. Where, wherever you are, wherever you are, you feel you're, you can be the starting point. We all should be the starting point. And discipling others and encouraging others and encouraging our families to walk with God. For those of you that have young kids, think about that in terms of how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph passed on their faith. And how can you say, hey, you know, before you were born, God was faithful to us. Make sure you tell them those stories. Make sure they know those stories of how God was faithful to you, how God was faithful to so many people around you. Let them know. Because that's so, so valuable. To know that you're not alone in this, to know that we're not alone on the journey, and that's why we gather. That's why we come together. To say, hey, in the midst of all this stuff that can sometimes not make sense, we know that there is an end in sight. We know that there is something good and true that we are holding on to, that is enduring, that will endure no matter what, because it's in Jesus who has overcome the grave. And that's what we priority. And that's what we pass on. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are an everlasting God. We thank you that you, unlike us, do not grow tired or weary. We thank you that you are faithful each and every day. That every time we need you, you are there. That when we stray, you are still there for us. God, we pray that you would help us to look to you in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our doubts. God, that we would be able to place our faith in you and that you would help us to grow toward become people who are unwavering in their faith. God, we can hold on with full assurance. God, that's what we want to be. We recognize that it's hard. And so we pray that you would help us to encourage one another. 
We pray that you would help us to look at your word and see how you are a good and faithful church and know that that's who you are and that's who you will be to us. God, we pray that you would help us to look at Jesus. We pray that you would help us to see him who endured everything for us, who is risen so that we don't have to fear Help us to put our trust in Him today. God, so that we too can have stories of your faithfulness to share with one another, to share with anyone who will listen, because you have been so good and faithful and true to us. And God, we love you and give you praise today. For you are worthy.